into um, YouTube or Google that you're going to find a, a host of other podcasts or videocasts that cover it. We are, of course, talking about Decoder. Now, Decoder was released February 19th, 1984 in West Germany. It was out of print and out of circulation for many, many years. It was recently brought to physical media by Vinegar Syndrome, Shout out to Vinegar Syndrome, and uh, if you want to yeah. sponsor us, Vinegar Syndrome, we would love to have you. We're we're big fans, and um, yep. this is one of uh, I picked up. I went through um, a Vinegar Syndrome phase of picking up movies, and this was one of the ones that that came up quite quite often in almost a forgotten, very obscure movie, and almost forgotten because. Um, well, the, the the name that probably the majority of you listening to would know that's associated with this movie is um, the very acclaimed author William S. Burroughs and I just say that as far as so if that name was obscure to you any of the other names that I throw at you unless you're one of our few German listeners shout out to our German listeners we love you yeah. um, you're not going to probably re- recognize a lot of the names being thrown at you uh, don't let that dissuade you though because if you don't want to, sh- to cough up the money for a physical copy of this movie i can't urge you enough to go to tubi free plug for tubi tubi if you uh want to throw us some sponsorship money we we i do like tubi um but this movie i didn't come across on tubi but tubi means you can watch this movie for free at your leisure with commercials um so it's on tubi right now it is i checked let me ask you had you known about dakota or seen dakota before no not before doing this show you didn't even know about it neither did i this this is this is obscure and um 
we're we're trying to really cover some more um, foreign movies out there uh, because you know uh, I, I I would say that ninety five percent of the movies we've covered have been English, American, yeah, for the most part. Now this movie is in German, English, and Portuguese, uh, heavy on the German. Uh, very, uh, actually, I, I'm not sure how much Portuguese is in there. Um, and only the scenes with William S. Burroughs are done in English because Mr. Burroughs does not know German. German, right. And this movie was influenced very much so... So subtitles do pop up here and there when necessary. Um, yes, yeah. and they will become very necessary, but also... We actually uh, have it playing in the background right now as we're doing this. We're doing a, a, an experiment on this particular episode because we generally don't have anything uh, playing when we when we record, but we're we're trying it this time. So we're actually watching Decoder right now, and with the sound off, obviously, you'd, yeah. you or as you'd be. Um, and it's a shame. It's kind of a shame to watch this movie that sound because the soundtrack to this movie is absolutely brilliant. Yep, it is. Uh, lots and lots of good music. Actually, I take it back. Uh, you might actually be familiar more so with some of the bands included here. Uh, most notably, Soft Cell, and you know, ninety-nine percent of the people that hear Soft Cell will immediately go to Tainted Love, and thankfully. That is not the song featured here. <laughs> it's a it's a great groovy song called CD Cities, and um, that's readily available on YouTube or um, I'm sure it's on Spotify or anything. Uh, great song. Also features music from uh, let's see, Psychic TV. I'm not even going to attempt to uh, pronounce this other band's name because I will butcher it. Uh, but one of my favorites, the the, which is um, the the is pretty much. Matt Johnson as a singer-songwriter, and he, he does some of the music here. But the majority of the music is actually done by Soft Cell. So, uh, great soundtrack. Now, not really much of a... There is a plot, um, and it basically deals with um, subliminal messages or sonic terrorism. And what happens is that a, a young... A young man finds out that the Muzak, that's M-U-Z-A-K, that elevator music that you hear in, obviously, elevators. Or and grocery stores. Grocery stores, uh, shopping, you know, in the dressing room. Very soothing, very calming music. That has um, always, and, and for those of you that know, or that are in the know, know that um, Muzak is actually was, was created um, scientifically as a way of... Um, Increasing productivity and soothing uh, emotions. Yeah, that's now, right. anyone that's worked in retail, which I have, will know that the, the uh, it has the opposite effect on the employees than it might have on the. It, it, it's very consumer friendly. It's very friendly for the buyers. It's not abrasive or offensive, but um, it becomes abrasive and offensive once you've heard the same couple dozen songs over and over again, like I did in my retail hell years. Yes, but he finds out that the government is manipulating people with um, sonic terrorism uh, manipulating people with this music and that it's a very um, conformist message being passed on there very um, consumeristic message Um, and it's being played he finds out in this um, this stand in for Burger King and McDonald's because obviously Burger King and McDonald's would want nothing to do with this movie so they came up with their own restaurant called H Burger 
And he finds out that, you know, the messages that are playing in this H-Burger thing, that he finds the tape of the music that's being played and finds that if he manipulates it sonically, that he can actually control people. And there's some actually some funny, you know, there's some humorous scenes where he's kind of fiddling with these knobs and the frequencies are getting changed and the, you see these people... You know, outside his window that he's looking at down on the street. Right, and they start walking around in circles and yeah. going around a light Going up. in fast motion, slowing down. He's controlling them like video Like uh, a video characters. game. Right. Yeah. Like uh, as if you were controlling a, 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 like if you were playing there with your remote control, like if people would control Mario with their, you know, mm -hmm. to get to go save the princess and mm -hmm. do some mushrooms and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um, yep. So he finds that he can control it and, you know, and then, so of course, when the government catches on to this, an assassin is uh, is is sent after him. Right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, where where to where to begin with all of this? Where well, we, we did yeah, a go ahead. I'm gonna let's get some of the technical stuff out okay. of the way. Sounds good. Um, this movie was written by the following people: Klaus Make, who we're going to be talking about quite a bit, uh, because he's probably the, the the person we can get the most information about. <laughs> who was uh, one of the writers, producers, and also one of the editors. Um, another, uh, one of the writer-director, Mushka, um, which that is uh, his, uh, I guess, stage name, you could say. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about him, um, but we'll just get this out. Let's, uh, let's just get the, uh, yeah. the elephant in the room. Uh, Mushka is, is German for pussy. That's crazy. And it's not really talked about in any of the documentaries or, or information that we were able to get our hands on. No, I, I only came across that because I, I Googled it, because there's not a lot to find. There's It's a movie that is this obscure, um, unless you are kind of working on this movie, there's there's not really that much. You kind of have to, you, you got to do a lot of digging. And thankfully for you, we did a lot of this digging for you. And um, we actually watched this movie a couple times, and we watched it once, you know, with just the... Um, commentary. And we, yeah, we watched it with the commentary, and even the presenter of the commentary said that she, for the longest time, wasn't even... She thought Mushka was the name of, like, this collective... Right. ...that, that worked on the movie. But no, Mushka was a real... Person. Real person. Uh, with a real kind of, uh, I, I'm guessing due to the, the circumstances of his nickname, and also, um, we might as well just get this out of the way, the, the, the guy, unfortunately, is no longer with us. He took his own life and filmed it. Filmed it, and it apparently hung him, hanged himself. Hung himself and filmed it, yeah. so that's... I don't even know, I don't even know the adjective to, to, to bring to that, but that's... But there's not a lot of information about him. The only picture that's available is his Wikipedia picture, which looks like, um, like the last known photograph of someone from the '80s. <laughs> it's it. Jeez. And so some of the other people that worked on this were Volker Schaefer. I'm going to apologize in advance for butchering some of these names. My German is uh, subpar. Schlecht. Well, I, I used to. I lived in Vienna for a while, and I used to always. My Deutsch is schlecht, which means my German sucks. Yeah, okay, so yeah. yeah, my Deutsch is schlecht. <laughs> so Volker Schäfer, uh, Trini Trimpop mm -hmm. was also one of the writers, and who had already done a movie with Mushka. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and these people were all very much involved in the underground punk scene. Mm -hmm. 
in Germany, was, in West Berlin at that time. Right. Yeah. Which was heavily influenced by the punk scene in England. That's right. Now, the punk scene in England really started getting getting a lot of uh, gaining traction in um, the late 70s, mid to late 70s, you know, the, you know once the Sex Pistols released their... Um, Debut al- album, you know. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that we could do a whole ep- episode about the Sex Pistols and um, and how they were they were kind of put together. They were the, the if it's funny they were kind of like a boy band. The way that boy bands are put together. That's hilarious. Really? Yeah. The Sex Pistols were. Yeah. Th- I mean, there's that movie about them. The right. Is it Sid and Nancy? Yeah. Yeah. The manager was very much, and the manager was very much a, a controlling figure. And then after the Sex Pistols went on to do basically like disco. Well, again, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but Sid Vicious could barely play the bass. I am not a bass player. I can safely say that I am a better bass player than Sid Vicious. <laughs> but he had the look. Yeah, yeah And that's why yeah. they said they were kind of put together by a boy band. They okay. could. They, the, the drummer could play. The guitarist could play. Uh, there wasn't... I mean, um, Johnny Rotten is a great front man, but, you know, he's not an opera singer, not a classically trained singer. But their bass player... Um, you know, the bass tracks on their album were recorded... I think Sid Vicious... Is is credited as playing bass, but really only played bass on one track. Uh, but th- okay. their bass player that actually could play was a little too clean cut. Okay. So that's the story of the Sex Pistols. Okay. And uh, but back to Decoder. I know so, Mushka is credited for bringing the Ramones to Dusseldorf. Yes. So he he was uh, an influential part of the punk scene, bringing the punk scene into right. Germany. One of Mushka's early short films is actually named after one of the most popular Ramones tracks, Blitzkrieg Bop. Okay, gotcha. So um, the, the 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 punk scene in in Germany that was bringing in was basically a, they were post punk or they became the German new wave mm-hmm. basically. And so there was a lot of electronic experiment, experimentation, and we can get into the push-pull between live instruments and electronic uh, sound that was happening during this whole scene. But they were they were very much their own scene, uh, and the the capper of it all was that they sang their songs in German, which right. made them basically non-commercial for the rest of the world. Yes, uh, yes. Until recently, um, I. I something that I brought to light is I showed you some some videos by the group Romstein. Um, Go on. Yeah, do you remember the videos I showed you? The no. concert videos with all the fire and oh, explosions. Yes, sure. sure, yeah. So, and they're 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 notorious for being extremely popular here. They you know, they they started gaining a lot of um fans in the 90s uh with the new metal scene, but you know, they sing in German. Okay. So, and Something that's very interesting. Uh, this this was also referenced. It, like you said, it's not it's not commercial in America. It, but they said that one of the things that really kind of br- started to break down the walls, which really has nothing to do with Decoder, although it shows up in a documentary done by by Klaus Mick that we also watched, was the '99 Love Balloons song. Which uh, 99 Left Balloons, right, by Nina Hagen. Right. So that was a big breakout. She was part of that scene. She yes, was, she was. Even though yes. as pop as that song, that single was, she was actually a part of that scene. And she was 
the one to break into the mainstream with just German lyrics. Yes. Right. And um, so that certainly helped. And another person that was popular in the scene was uh, Tilda... Swenton. Right. Yeah, right. So, um, and the... I mean, it goes on and on. She was very much a part of that scene, and she made movies with uh, that creative crowd quite a bit. The guy who is in Super 8, which is... A movie... Oh, should we get into this? It's B-movie. Super it's, 8 it's, is a J.J. Abrams uh, You're film. so right. I'm so sorry. It's and called, it's not the Jerry Seinfeld B-movie either. It's actually just the the letter B. And there's a there's a little tagline that goes along with it, um, which is extremely hard to find due to the fact that um, the mus- they would never be able to clear all the music that is used sure. in that documentary. Sure, never. But you can you can purchase it and stream it, and it's actually called B Movie: Lust and Sound in West Berlin, 1979 to 1989, which is fascinating, and we got a lot of information. Right, uh, which is directed by Klaus Make. Um, that's right. That's it's a right. documentary of this artist uh, whose name escapes me. Do you have him in his notes? Yep, his but, name is Mark Reeder. Right. So, and Mark Reeder actually did a movie with Tilda Swinton um, later on. So, in it's very interesting because v- viewing this documentary and doing all this research, it's so interesting that this there's a very hippie communal vibe going on in the punk scene in Germany around this time. Right, and before it became punk, it was actually kind of hippie music. It was very hippie-ish. Yeah, and then you get the impression by the end of B-movie that it went back to being kind of hippie-ish by the end of the 70s. Right, it's very much much, um, an artistic communal. You would have people that would um, play, you know, you would all live together. You would form little bands with one another. People, you know, people were in each other's bands. A lot of, each a lot of cross pollination going absolutely. on. Nick and, Cave was a big part of this scene yes, as well. Yep. I know Keith Haring was bopping around at some point. I know that Berlin is a hot spot and always has been a hot spot for creative energy. So this is no exception. This is probably maybe the heyday of that time. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, it all culminate, kind of really culminated with this the split Berlin yeah. with the wall coming down. That's right, um, right. And Which happened in the late 80s. Yeah. Right. So this movie was written in 19, uh, like 81, 82. It started being written and filmed and filmed. And it, there was there was close to a year of post-production and editing, I believe. That, so that delayed it even more, making it released, uh, making it delaying the release until 84. And then they had to also travel to London because the scenes with William S. Burroughs are all filmed in London. Oh, they are. OK, gotcha. so. All right. And, you know, he he gets he gets. He almost gets top billing here uh, uh, over the other people, but that's kind of just the the name recognition to kind of uh, plug to, the movie. Yeah, uh, yep, yep. But his writing was was heavily influen- um, influential to the development of this movie. Uh, Burroughs, um, one of one of my favorite authors. Not an easy author, though, uh, as far as getting through his some of his books. Because he uses a lot of um, uh, cut-up kind of style, yeah. which this movie also does. It's very, it's cut up, and there's then there's set pieces where you'll get the entire, like the entire song will play as if it was a music video. And if you boil down this plot, you could probably, you could do the plot of Decoder probably in 
25 minutes to half an hour um, taking out all the music that's going on you know that you know because you've Probably. got like a five minute song here and there that really adds up to your runtime and this is very deliberate it's not like they didn't have enough material but I think because it was such a communal art scene they wanted to incorporate as much uh, different aspects of art as they possibly could if you had and a, they do it's yes. a creative think tank really I, now, while we're on the subject of Burroughs, uh, it, one of the main influences uh, of this movie is the Electronic Revolution that Burroughs... It's a collection of essays by Burroughs that I, apparently was released in 1970, but there are a lot of references to things that were after 1970, like Watergate, um, which was in 1972. So I don't, I don't know how that figures. I know there were revised versions of... Uh, the electronic rev revolution right. as time went by. There is an expanded, uh, yeah, there's an expanded version. Yeah, it was first published in 1970. It was actually published exclusively in Germany. Um, well, that well, that tells you a lot right there. And so then, there's the there's a big connection right there. Yeah, and then it was uh, the second publishing was was in England, um, and it has since been re-released and has been incorporated in. Like Burroughs anthologies and whatnot, but there's also an ex uh, um, an ex expanded version um, which includes interviews with with Burroughs. And if you want to go down, the thing with Decoder is that we ended up going down so many rabbit holes that if we kept going down rabbit holes, I almost pulled us into a rabbit hole right before we started recording. Um, for your viewing pleasure, there is an entire hour long documentary directed. By um, Klaus Make um, about Burroughs, about Burroughs called Commissioner of Sewers, which was released in 1991. So the collaborative um, energy that they developed in the the 80s carried through onto Bur, you know, carried through into the 90s. Um, Commissioner of Sewers is basically it's it's Burroughs. It looks like it's he's at a speaking engagement. Um, with visuals going on in the background, um, sometimes very, very hypnotic, at times distracting, um, but also, you know, visually beautiful. And Burroughs' language is not very linear. So when I say cut up, I mean that it's not. Let, but let's let's let me because I actually listened to some of the audio Please. book of Electronic Revolution, and he gets very much into the whole cut up thing. Actually, what the lead character in Decoder is doing. Um, is explained in the exper in Electronic Revolution. You can do it yourself. Yes. How you can like cut stuff up and put in subliminal messages. He talks about uh, Watergate in terms of the spoken word being used as a weapon and recordings being used as a weapon, obviously for um, for uh, blackmail purposes. Mm -hmm. But he says, you know, you, anything that is said and recorded could be played in public and used against the person who has been recorded. Uh, and keep in mind that this was written in the, the late 60s. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about now when everyone's got a portable recording device. But it's so relevant and, now. Oh, it's, more, it's probably I've, I've, more relevant now than it was at the time. Yeah, I actually knew a girl who would record you when you weren't, didn't know it, and then she would use it against you. So this this is... Wow. This, I know, right? She was psycho. Uh, I worked with her. I didn't know her. But anyway... Uh, it also talks about in Electronic Revolution. He talks about the written word was riddle, is, 
was was literally a virus yes. that made spoken word possible, and he goes into great detail with all of that. So there's the whole viral connection, and he uses the whole um, theory behind viruses with recordings and sound and cut up, and how you can put subliminal messages in um, of all kinds, violence or sexual or otherwise, to create um, to create you know a subliminal attack basically on one person or or a mass culture, a group of people. Now the the Klaus Mick tells a very interesting story about Burroughs that apparently um, at, at some period of time, I'm guessing around the time that this was written, so we're probably talking late 60s, early 70s, uh, a coffee shop in London. Um, Yes. He was displeased with them. Yes, it was so, called the Mocha Bar. Okay, so he was very displeased with this, the way that they treated him. Um, so what he did is he, he hung out outside the Mocha Bar and would just record people and noises all around, you know, that was happening outside the bar and, you know, people coming in, going out. He did this for days and days. Then he would take these recordings home, manipulate them, cut them up, add anti, would add noises uh, sexual noises, all sorts of disturbing white, things. White, you know, like that white hissing sound. Yep. Um, and then play it outside that, the coffee house, and he shut it down. He shut it down they supposedly out, in a week. They went, and there is a date here on October thirtieth, nineteen seventy-two. Apparently, he shut down shut down the Mocha Bar by doing this. So, so this is the premise. Yes, this is basically the premise of Decoder. So, yes, our protagonist finds out that you know you know, these manipulative messages are being, you know, placed and that these tapes that are created that are played in all these restaurants were created by the government. And so, right, and so in retaliation when an individual takes it into his own hands to do something like this, he can go against that narrative, that government narrative and create other things. There's actually, it's actually said in um, Electronic Revolution, the question is put out, can riot sound effects produce an actual riot in a riot situation. And this movie features actual riot footage. Footage, yeah. Of of what was going on in Berlin at in that time. In Berlin. They went, went down into the riots and recorded footage for it, which is played throughout the whole movie. Right, which, because basically what happens is once he finds out about the manipulative tapes, you know, he changes it and t he, you know, he puts kind of the people against the government, which causes a riot. The actual footage that you watch in the movie is from a actual riot. Uh, and I, I thought at first my theory was that they were kind of uh, just watching and just vid footage, uh, filming stock it. footage, filming from, it. Yeah, I thought it was. But and they actually, they were down there in the streets filming. Not only were they filming though, they had. Friends, I guess, that were actors that kind of helped incite yes. some more action. So they And they cut that part out because they found out that there was actually audio, audio tape that was circulating or multiple audio tapes that were circulating. This goes right into this whole theme of, of, of noise, riot sounds, gunfire, whatnot, um, that was being played by people and out, with their speakers put to the window Right, encouraging the riots to happen. So it was it was manifesting its own self. Now, and so because of this, because of finding out this, they cut out those that subplot with those actors. Yeah, but this was. I mean, this is real. 
Right. This is all real. This That's was the, the early '80s. Yeah. It was real. This was really happening. And what what you're seeing is not um, a dramatic reenactment because they couldn't afford it. No, there's no there's no information on budget anywhere that I could find. But given you know, given the way that this movie was released and produced, this we're talking shoestring budget, very low budget kind of. But it works. It works. It and, does. And, and I, I find, I mean, Dakota really is kind of perfect for a podcast. It is perfect for a podcast because it really is, first of all, a cult movie. Mm -hmm. But not only just a, a cult movie, it really uh, provides a zeitgeist for what was going on at that time in many, many different ways. And, it, and as you said earlier, it's one rabbit hole after another. It seems like there's no information about this movie, but there is. And once you discover it, it's just one thing after another mm. that you keep learning and learning and le layers and layers and layers of a culture that existed that had its uh, mitts in all sorts of different forms of media, basically, right. sound especially, but visuals as well. And it's also the it's also the kind of movie that you know the German government probably wouldn't want you to see. Well, you could put up an argument that this whole creative movement, and it, I do think it was a spontaneous. I pretty much think movements are or orchestrated or controlled, but in this case, it genuinely seems like a spontaneous creative movement that was happening in Germany, in Berlin, and you could provide an argument that the government wanted to stop it. Right. You know, that this was getting out of hand. The people were um, becoming too creative for them. Which leads nicely into our next rabbit hole with Dakota, which is Alphaville by Jean-Luc Godard. That's right. About a man who goes to investigate, I believe it's a murder, in this Alphaville town where certain words are not only outlawed, they're just, they just don't exist. They, they, they disappear. The government has, yes. They've yeah. systematically removed certain words from right. your conversation. Um, right. And if you go, if you feed into Burroughs' theory, where words and language are a virus, it's almost as if they saw, you know, the government doesn't like certain words, so they're they're removing that. And if that sounds familiar, just look up, you know, Google censorship and yeah, what's and happening. Cancel culture, right? I right. mean, we're remove we're constantly removing words from. Our vernacular that and were that were once commonplace, yeah, are no longer acceptable. Yeah, and then I the can different say words being introduced and rep to replace them. The word trigger trigger wasn't used as right. a common household word until about ten years ago. Exactly, yeah. and uh, think about this. You know, and then you just got to think about the evolution of words. Um, and the, basically, I think it's called Hegelian dialect where words are used to kind of basically manipulate a social consciousness. So, yeah. if I say, and um, Andrew, you know me quite well, I am I am not a homophobic individual. <laughs> no, you're not. No, so if I say fag in America, that means one thing. It's a derogatory term. I go to England, I ask somebody for a fag, they're going to hand me a cigarette. Right, right. There's actually even more to that, and you can edit this out if you want. But um, the, apparently, this is the story. Okay, I'm I don't know if it's okay. true or not. All right, that that's that fine. When they that's were, fine for our that when they were when they were burning witches, that gay people would be put on the fire as kindling. So fags like sticks. I've heard that. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I've yeah. I've they heard were, they that were as well. Far below witches. It's that's, I don't know be, if it's true. I've or not. heard that a bundle of sticks is called fags. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. 
so you know we're we're constantly doing that we have people now that are outraged about books that have been on bookshelves for years and years and years raw dolls being edited they want to edit dr seuss they want to go back and edit um 007 and again as decoder shows that's that's not the issue it's not the words it's the context and the way that they're used we can we weaponize words every day uh we do we do we do we do. We, we, we take do. certain words think about what happened and, and sometimes it only takes one person bad used to mean something's not good until michael jackson came out with bad and then everybody wants to be bad, bad. you bad and, uh, and this occurred to me the other night and um for any Michael Jackson fans, I, I I think that some of his album titles were a warning to some of his behaviors. He's got an album called Bad, then he releases an album called Dangerous. Right. There, All the signs were there. One, there's one Blood on the Dance Floor. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. <laughs> okay, so um, back to Alphaville. There's a quote in Alphaville that they give that the powers that be say to the protagonist yes uh, which is we need you for your intelligence but you're also a threat because of it yes now this is interesting and it, and it lends itself to the lead character in uh decoder his his name is fm in the movie and it's uh, it's oh no that's the that's the actor's name well i think that's his name in the movie too that's mm-hmm. his character's name that's what it says on imdb you're gonna have to forgive us because there's, there's, so, there's many so much names. to cover so many and names. there's a lot of german names yeah. in the character i mean so fm einheit yes um that's the actor and i guess fm is his also his uh character's name but he is uh, someone who has become very smart in terms of cutting up the Muzak and putting in his own subliminal messages very effectively, uh, very similar to the protagonist in Alphaville he, in terms of his intelligence being a threat. He realizes that he can actually do this weird, like, interpretive dance where he's basically thrashing around in his room it's and he's recording it. Great scene. I call and, it anti-dance. And just, <laughs> just a warning, and, uh, you know... I guess for people that get triggered, there is, there are frogs in this movie, and they are trained assassin frogs. But there's also the chance that a frog was killed on, it's, on it's, screen. It's, I think it happened. It's pretty much it's, with the research we've done. There is animal cruelty going on in this movie. It should be noted. Yeah. And so there are. And so one of the things that he puts into what the music is, is, is a frog screaming to death before being, it dies. It's being choked. It's being he choked. is strangling, strangling a frog. He's strangling a frog. So if you're a sick sicko, and I'm, and yes, that's not a word I use very often, but I, if you want to listen to a frog being strangled, this is the movie for you. But that makes you. That's that's a terrible reason to watch this movie. This now, well, and also it's interesting that Christine F. I'm going to call her Christine F. because gorgeous. Christine, she's on screen right Christi, now. Yes, she is. Christi, Christiane. Christiana. Felsherinow. Felsherinow. I think yes. is her name. But we're going to call her Christiane F. She um, she's a fascinating individual. She was uh, a main actress in this movie. She actually. She her character raises frogs in the movie. Apparently, she actually did this in real life. Yes, she raised frogs. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but she was fluent in twenty seven different languages. That's amazing. It is amazing. She wrote a book based on her experience as a minor, being a prostitute and a drug addict, and that mo- that book was made into a movie called Christiane F. Yes, um, that was very successful. She made money off of this. David Bowie is in that movie. He is. That's right. There's a so, great, great um, concert. We, you can scene. actually, I, I think one of the um, 
he's on the stations the stations tour and what yeah one of the song one of the live performances is actually it's on the official david bowie pages actually was actually filmed for the movie okay um she's kind of fascinated with david bowie and one of the scenes she actually she actually goes to a david bowie concert and um yeah that's that's the scene yep. yep but she but she was after making all of this movie and receiving a lot of publicity she wanted to keep a low profile she was trying to stay away from uh, substances. I don't. I, I guess it was heroin. Um, and it, she had. She battled with it throughout the rest of her life. Is she still around? I think she's still around. I know that uh, we already talked about what happened to Mushka. Unfortunately, Klaus Make is still around. He's still working. Yep. It's funny because um, he was actually asked to do the commentary for Decoder, and I guess he had no interest in it. I kind of like well, the fact that he, he was, no, no, no. He was. He said that he was really busy with another. I guess project. that he really wanted to prep for it. So they got this uh, film historian, film critic. Uh, Her name is Kier Kier La Janice. Thank and you. She's really really knowledgeable. She basically talks about all the movies that are affiliated with the creative crew in Decoder, and right. it's extensive. It really is. She knows her stuff. It's highly recommended that you listen to that commentary. One of the most informative commentaries. It's also very frustrating because uh, you know the movie is a is a is a tight eighty eight minutes, and the information surrounding this movie is seemingly endless. It is. So she's trying to. to she's she's talking very quickly. She's very um, trying to catch up with succinct. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and again, there's not really too much. To comment, like, while we're watching the movie, like I said, the plot-wise, you know, he finds out, he goes, he he's getting, right now, um, our protagonist, FM, is getting, you know, pieces from this electronic shop that, uh, this was an actual electronic shop, I believe, in London right, that we're, we're seeing right now, and, and uh, that's William S. Burroughs as the man who runs the shop, and he basically gives him this, this piece of machinery... And it's very interesting that Burroughs in this scene is not fixing any... He's not fixing a piece of um, machinery. He's actually deconstructing. Right. And that, that was his idea, I think. He says yes. it makes more sense to deconstruct these these uh, this equipment. Right. And it's also interesting that the scenes between uh, the protagonist and Burroughs uh, don't have much dialogue because both of them weren't very good at dialogue. No. Uh, in, including Einheit himself. The protagonist. Sure, he's got to he's got to talk into a language that's foreign to him. So he's doing whatever he can phonetically. You know, yeah. someone's interpreting German to him, and he's speaking it phonetically. And Burroughs was is seemingly inebriated. Um, uh, yeah, he was drunk. <laughs> he was drunk. Um, that has been confirmed by the uh, well, the director is no longer with uh, by Klaus, the um, the writer producer, um, who's the most. Uh, I guess I don't want to say prolific, but the I guess as far as get, gathering information and still working in the industry, he he's still producing um, material. To as far as I know, when this this DVD came out only a couple of years ago. Okay. And um, so so these yeah. Go ahead. I just wanted to mention something because uh, you know in a movie like this, sometimes you would think that. You know, due to the fact that they don't have a lot of money, they're they're relatively inexperienced. That it would look sloppy, but the cinematography, the camera angles, um, we have that beautiful tracking shot of Bill Rice in the opening, going down the halls of this, you know, yep. this, this building, Big Brother, so to speak, yep. where they're monitoring their their um, their audio experiments, as they were. Yes, and you could, you know, 
you could only theorize what potentially people could do and we do use noise as a weapon if you if you've um one of the a torture scene you know waterboarding seemed to be the torture scene of choice for a couple of years but putting on headphones putting someone strapping someone in putting on headphones and then blasting not even music just noise <laughs> at high decibels into their ears causing damage it's, that's torture it's like uh, that scene in back to the future when he does that to crispin glover yes. in his sleep <laughs> all right so that so that happens and also there's um i think that's a south park episode and i guess theoretically it is true but there's supposed to be a note so low right that if played if if they're able to actually um get this note out you wouldn't even hear it. You would feel it, and you and you would release your bells. Yeah, and that's the most defecate. polite way. It's the most polite way I could say it. <laughs> there is a South Park. I've seen that South Park episode, right? We've and I think they call this. it the brown note. That's supposed and and <laughs> and think if you think about it this way, there are frequencies so low that you don't hear them. You feel them in your stomach. Mm. There's frequencies so high that we humans don't hear them. Like a dog whistle mm-hmm. is a frequency so high that you know only dogs can hear. It. Mm-hmm. So I mean. So what happens when you play around with all of these frequencies? Yeah. And I'm sure it's being done as we speak. Sure. Yeah. And and so for a movie that that came out, you know, decades ago, it's still it's I I and like I said, as far as Burroughs' writings are is still relevant today because, you know, Burroughs has always been writing about things that kind of resonate throughout the years. He he's written about um struggling up with his sex you know struggling with his sexuality drug abuse these are all things that are still to this day issues that people are dealing with mm-hmm. and um so the cut up nature of burroughs's writing is is kind it kind of came from him kind of well kind of as a necessity because if you know William S. Burroughs, you know that the man likes his drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. which doesn't make for a very conducive writing habit because he would write here and there. He would write letters to friends. And these, you know, then he would compile instead of sitting down at his computer or well, typewriter or with a pad and paper as other authors would and kind of, you know, write your first act, second act, third act, conclusion, that kind of thing he would be very cut up and take things from here and there and, and, and place them and then make the story out of that instead of having, you know, a starting point and an ending point and right. putting in the middle, he might might write something, discard it for one book, but okay, I'm going to chuck it into another book. It's It's interesting. I think I even mentioned at some point when we were talking that Miles Davis would do, would do cut-ups actually with live performances with recorded live performances at gigs and he would actually splice it up and do different things with it so this is something this is a technique that many creative individuals have used right and not and um when you first said miles davis the first thing that comes to mind for me is jazz which is very improv based yeah that is not the the case with cut up it's very highly manipulated. It's highly manipulated and it's highly controlled. Yeah. You know, when Burroughs wanted to put that coffee shop out of out of business, he knew what he was doing. He yep. wanted the most yep. abrasive, offensive noises that he could. Yep. And yep. again, this movie is also kind of a cut up because in between these sequences of um you know, this assassin that is sent after after uh FM because he, he has the knowledge and there's also this kind of secret organization I think that we're actually going to see here 
um, which is another English-speaking part of the movie where they say knowledge is information and white knowledge is a bank and our That's information right. is a bank. That's right. I have it here. Information wait, and wait, knowledge wait, wait, are wait, wait, a wait. bank and it's our job to rob the bank. Yeah, I've, wait. I've got the exact quote. Hold on a second. Sure. Let me find it. If I can find it, if I can find it. Information is like a bank. Our job is to rob the bank. It's exactly right. what you said. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so, okay. So, jeez. Well, I'm just going to, th- while, you're, while you're going through your notes, this is, this is a quote here. Here's a passage from William S. Burroughs, and um, this, is, this is pretty interesting stuff. So, um, uh, and I quote, I suggest that the spoken word as we know it, it came after the written word. Right. We may forget that a written word is an image and that written words are images in sequence, that is to say, moving pictures. Mm-hmm. My basis theory is that the written word was literally a virus that made the spoken word possible. Right. Dr. Kurt Ernrun von Steinplatz has put forward the interesting theory as to the origins and history of this word virus. He postulates that the word was a virus of what he calls bio, biologic mutation affecting a biologic change in its host, which is then genetically conveyed. One reason that apes cannot talk is because the structure of their inner throats is simply not designed to formulate words. He postulates that our, that alteration in inner throat structures were were occasioned by a virus illness. So part of the evolution, if you subscribe to the theory of evolution, then part of the, you know, that, you know, man, women, people came from apes. Part of the reason, you know, that we're able to talk is that our our throats were designed a little bit differently. But, and again, here's another rabbit hole. You know, animals have these these forms of communication that we 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 don't understand. You know, right. the way Sounds. dolphins are able to t- you know talk mm-hmm. to each other through like rhythms in the water. It's all fascinating, fascinating stuff. Now, Burroughs. Okay, so what what was Burroughs' uh, milieu? Who did he hang out with? He hung out with Kerouac and he, Ginsburg. Right. Uh, who else was part of that crowd? I'm trying. What? I mean, he mentions an electronic revolution. He rem- he mentions L. Ron Hubbard a lot. Who? Uh, I mean, these people all ostensibly had some sort of connection with the CIA in one way or another. Burroughs. So, and I wonder if Hunter Thompson is part of this as well. Yes. Okay. They were all very highly suspect of the government. Yes. Well, but they were also probably connected to the CIA in one way or another. In fact, that's a lot of what Naked Lunch is about, um, is his, his affiliation with the CIA. You can't really have that much of a cultural movement without the CIA getting involved. So that's, there's, uh, that's where I stand with all of this, is that these people in one way or another were part of this movement, but also were tied into this uh, rogue government uh, uh, clan, basically. 
I can't see Burroughs and Thompson sitting down with the CIA, but if you think so... Oh, well, there's a lot of evidence, dude. There is. And I mean, seriously, the, you talk about the part of Naked Lunch, which is fictionalized. You're like, oh, well, the first half is nonfiction, and the second half is fiction. I think it's all nonfiction. Uh, well, that's... Then again, well, that's Naked Lunch, the movie. It's not Naked Lunch, the book. But if you ever sat down and read... But I mean, if he's you, talking about... I mean, he's talking about being basically supplied with a young lover who is helping him along and helping him write um, this this would be part of the uh, part for the course for the CIA to do with a with an individual who is leading a cultural movement true yeah um, but that's naked lunch that's Cronenberg that's Burroughs that's a whole nother thing uh, you know Burroughs for, for starting out in the beat generation though he quickly was embraced by the punk generation just from the basis of his writing, because he was very right. much an outsider and a loner, which is kind of like the punk mentality. Right. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, what happened with Burroughs in his personal life is, you know, you know, as replicated in Naked Lunch, is that he did accidentally shoot his wife in the head. And but that's the reported story. That might not be actually what happened. You know, it might have happened, might have gone down a different way, actually. Well, you know? That that's a whole different conversation with Burroughs, because like I said, his books are so cut up, um, and unfortunately, due to substance abuse, um, very similar to the way Hunter S. Thompson writes as a Gonzo journalist, is that I think that you know substances can interfere with being the most reliable when it comes to um, writing or, you know, being an unreliable narrator. How many times have we seen, you know, you come across a book or a movie that features an unreliable narrator. They're unreliable because they're an alcoholic. They black out, forget hours of the day, or they're seeing everything in a distorted sort of view. So, but if you read a Burroughs book, it is very cut up. You know, there are, you know, some of his books have chapters and parts and all this kind of thing. But if you're looking for a very linear, coherent narrative, uh, look elsewhere. Right. And so. Okay. So. I don't know. I don't even know what some of these notes are about because I wrote them during the commentary. Okay. So. So FM Einheit was actually a percussionist that who who was involved with a lot of bands. KMFDM, Kill Motherfucking Depeche Mode, <laughs> and he created he created his own instruments. They they were very much very um, percussion oriented. He would take like a drill or you know that kind of thing and and turn it into a percussion instrument, which lends itself to the whole theme of this movie as well. Right, Definitely. it's kind of making making art out of trash in right, a way right. which is, is is brilliant and the whole theme of music being toyed with and cut up and used in and weaponized uh, uh, fits into this theme of pacification versus disruption it's very right. interesting that something that is meant to pacify is then used to disrupt so very cleverly they knew that they wouldn't be able to get McDonald's and Burger King on board, so they came up with their H-Burger, and we're watching uh, scenes here in H-Burger, and it's... And it's, Burger actually is similar to the word Bilger, which means civilian. So a burger war would be the same as essentially a civil war. Right. Which Mayak talks about. And I, it has a similar sound to the Bilderberg group also, which... Uh, are the movers and the shakers in terms of world uh, planning and laws that are made 
in different countries. Right. So he's using the, his man, these manipulated tapes right now to to cause riots in this in this hamburger joint of all places. So that's yep. where he's he's starting his experimentation. And right now, the manager is putting the Muzak is going back in, and it's it's um it's actually upsetting the people even more because they're they're thrown into like a very dissonant kind of um f- uh, phase yep it makes them ill it makes it, them, it makes them Ill physically eat the, eat the it, burgers the right. fast food so they have these different tapes if they want you to stay and eat and consume that they can play or again the music would be um would it, it's also there are also scenes here where it's a, it's not a brothel but it's more of a like a private peep show. A peep show. It's reminiscent of Madonna's Open Your Heart video right. that I showed you. Yeah. Right. Where it's just, you're on this revolving stage and there are these little windows with curtains that go up and down. And for and those of yeah, you basically sit and watch a, a girl would will dance for you. And um, there's usually a plastic partition yeah, um, between you and the subject. Right, yes. Um, and also the music here... Um, is actually giving the 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 agent a, a headache um, because uh, it, oh yeah we're watching we're watching this scene right yeah now, actually and um, it's not it's not it's not what he's used to but it's what everyone that goes to these places are used to and it keeps them coming it's it's kind of feeding that addiction it'll tell you to it's very voyeuristic it is yeah. um, you, you want to come back you want to eat consume you yep. want you want sex yeah. Yeah, we got girls. We it's, got food. You're right. Yeah, and, fast food, fast sex. Right. Yeah. Everything's. We make everything very convenient because we want your money and we want you to kind of stay in line. We That's want, right. We want you to, you know, you don't have to think about your dinner plans because H Burger's right around the corner. Right. Right. You know, right. 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 You don't have to go to the grocery store. Right. I mean, think about the lines you see at the takeout and McDonald's oh, when you're right. driving. Oh, I'm not going to get. I'm not going to go there. Look at that line of cars. Uh, but also, they did something very, very clever here in the movie where um, when he starts putting these tapes into these restaurants to cause riots, you know, obviously he couldn't go into an actual McDonald's or a Burger King. But very wisely, they set up a camera outside these establishments and... You see him walk in, but you don't see any footage inside the actual restaurants, and you see him walk out, and then they show the riot footage. So the insinuation is that he, you know, he goes into these different restaurants to cause riots, Mm -hmm. uh, but for obvious reasons, you know, lawsuits and all that kind of legal stuff. But you got so what's what's the burger joint that they actually use the indoors? H Burger. H Burger. They built. I think it was. Is a that set. really a place? Oh, no, they built it. It's okay. not a real restaurant. Okay. No, no, no. So they created. Could... They created their own fast food chain because it they... looks like an already established place. I don't. I wonder if it was like a McDonald's that they. just I wouldn't be surprised that if it the M for you know? either that or a restaurant that they kind of you know mm-hmm. and that was out of business and they kind of just. And it's funny. It looks like it's from 1977 when they're inside. Like a lot of the interior design looks like. 70s Ramada Inn type of decor. Well, and that's very interesting because a lot of these, the, the documentary and just like the these cultural movements, um, unfortunately, and I think this was just a result of what the aftermath of World War II, you know, with Germany being kind of like divided and controlled by all these different nations. So th- their own kind of, th- so th- the way that culture spreads nowadays is so much quicker because of the internet 
you know, we're, we're able to watch live, you can watch a live concert that's happening around the world, you know, on the other side of the planet. Um, and you can watch it in real time. It took, it took a while for like the punk movement to, to, to make its way from America and England over into Germany. So they were kind of always just slightly behind the times, which is why I think that, 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 that restaurant, you know, looks outdated to us in 1984s because they hadn't really they're they're still kind of catching up. Well, that I mean that could be, but I think uh, yeah. I mean, I've been there are, I've been to casinos in Vegas that still look like they're in the 70s. <laughs> so, you know, it could it could also just be like, well, we don't want to we don't want to pay We don't want to yeah, we don't renovate. Well, that could be another thing. They don't have <laughs> well that that very easily. They don't have the financial means to to renovate and update as quickly as some of the other establishments do. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, that's all theoretical. But right now, he's he's just he's just finding these different frequencies and what will happen when a human comes in contact with a frequency that they're not used to. Now, this act, this movie is actually based on a graphic novel. It was a graphic novel that Mayak had uh, that he put into free magazines that were being circulated in universities and different neighborhoods, I right, believe. Very underground. Very underground. Yeah. So there, it does exist, and you can see it in some of his interview. Like, he shows it. There was a graphic novel that it was based on that he that he made. There's also There was also a booklet that came out with the right. initial opening of Decoder. Yes. Which had, of course, in German, which explained a lot of stuff and talked about a lot of different things. Right. And, uh, again, we've had mixed... We, we I think we had this discussion about um, Dune, that they had to give oh. a booklet of, like, the definitions of terms for Dune. Like, you'd have to read... Oh, okay. Interesting. Or, like, 2001. Didn't she say there was something that happened with 2001? My mother went to see 2001 a Space Odyssey in the movie theater, and she was... They were all given a a pamphlet to read before the movie, which which turned her off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so it's kind of you know you you go see a great movie and you get a little booklet to take with you. It's it's kind of cool and and um, actually on screen right now is the the um, the infamous scene that we're talking about where he's actually and the noises that this frog makes while being choked are very distressing. Yes. And I could see why you know because it's not like anything you've heard before it's so unusual and think about that when was the last time that you heard a noise or like a frequency that's just off you know if anyone has tinnitus out there which is a ringing in the ears you know um you know that you kind of get after a a loud concert you know after a day or two after a loud concert you still kind of got the you know your hearing hasn't really recovered yet yeah, um, it's it's all about adjusting, and um, that also goes into evolution. You know what's going to happen. You know, I would be interested to see you know an expanded decoder universe. What happens once people adapt to these frequencies and they no longer work, and the government has to resort to a different tactic to kind of manipulate? You just you. come up with new frequencies. Yeah, that's. I mean, that I think we live it. I think this this. I think this is real. I think we go through it. Actually, I think we have it going on around us. Well, sure. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, tw- yes, and and even with even with radiation, which is uh, which is mentioned in. Um, the electronic revolution. They, he talks about radiation as well, and we can talk about 
all the radiation that comes from the the cell phone towers, 5G, all of that. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we don't see or hear that could potentially affect us and sure. our health. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so. yes, so Burroughs was very prolific in his writing about this and uh, uh, you know about manipulation of words, how taped conversations can be used against you. Um, but very interesting that I just want to quickly mention this. Um, I, I there's a there's a very famous quote from well not famous quote but there's a there's a quote floating around out there. Um, a journalist had asked Jim Morrison, so this is probably back in the the sixties, asked him what the future of music was, and he basically said that it was going to be all machines, and you know, here we are, and here we are, yeah. where people are making you know. You don't need to have any sort of musical talent. You don't need to be able to read music, play an instrument, and you could put up something on SoundCloud, and all of a sudden you're famous. Yep, 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 yep. So there's also, I mean, the the whole history of Muzak, especially in particular, is apparently started in the 30s. Yes. And then really gained traction in the 1950s. And it said that it was scientific. Yeah, we've already covered this, but let me just quote this. Sure. Quote. Scientifically engineered uh, to be orally inoffensive uh, and increase worker pr- productivity and a feeling of well-being. Exactly. The qu- it was actually challenged in court in the 1950s um, on the basis of brainwashing. I don't know what the outcome of that was. We also con- could mention that the Nazis and then subsequently the Rockefellers changed the tuning of instruments to a different frequency uh, at a certain point to make it less uh, grounding and to make it more kind of agitating. So that that is also uh, something that happened along the way. Right, and then and you can only imagine the, 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 the people that would be brought in to kind of manipulate this sort of music. They would bring a music theorist, a, a musicologist sure, that sure. study music and say, you know, well, well, this sort of melody, these notes go together. They're very soothing, or they're not, at least, like you said, they're, they're inoffensive, which means you're not going to walk into a place and w- immediately walk out because the music's bad. It's going to be like, eh, you know what? It's nothing. There's no substance there. It's supposed, it's supposed to be... It's spo- like yeah, <clears throat> it's supposed to be... That there's nothing there, but there's actually that the nothing is is deep within the, the music. It's, it's the music that they've chosen to play because they're able to manipulate it to, to a, a place that makes it conducive to make you want to stay, to make you feel welcome, so that you will spend your money, you will consume. Yep. Um, okay. And you know, to make your your ride on the elevator, you know, I'd rather just have nothing. I know, neither so would I. <laughs> and you know, I listen to a lot of pop music today, actually, and I'm disturbed a lot by the production values and the sounds that come out of it. A lot of the time, I have to turn it off. I can't listen. The, I'm talking about the highly produced stuff, right? That comes and, out and, now. and there's been there's been certain um, issues. I mean, we can we can talk about this. Neither of you, neither of us, are particularly big U2 fans, and I know that. Um, think about this. This happened a couple of years ago. Do you remember when? Everyone that had a certain kind of phone or computer, they immediately got loaded onto their phone or computer a U2 album. I have one of their albums. I don't know if it's that album, and I can't get rid of it. It, it happened will, to yes, me. Yeah, it'll, and it's still on my device, and I can't get rid of it. Right, and you know the you know the few. I mean, we're talking about millions of people. And the few people that like you two, sure, that's fine. But like you said, people were like, 
why is this on my phone? Why is this on my computer? And why can't I get rid of it? Yeah, that ha- that, I've got that. So I that's that. bizarre. And yeah. then there's also, there's ways that music is mixed and mastered that it is, it doesn't, it sounds robotic. It doesn't sound natural. And, 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 and there's been bands that have been criticized. There are producers that have been criticized because they'll master something. Everything is usually mastered at a certain level mm-hmm. and you can obviously go louder but that's is supposed to be up to the actual consumer of the music they should be able to be adjusting the volume if you've ever listened sometimes if you play like a mix cd that you know certain songs are slightly louder than the others have you ever noticed that yes and that's again that's sonic manipulation and in bands popular bands um Black Sabbath was was criticized for doing that. Metallica has been criticized for doing that. That these this music has been mastered at a, a a different volume than has kind of been the the standard norm of the industry okay. that we've been accustomed to. And so you put in you put in one CD, you have your volume set at thirteen, and it's a very comfortable vo- volume level to you. You pop in one of these other CDs, it's louder. Okay. And yes. that's kind of, it's almost, it's louder against your will. Because like I said, the consumer has then lost control of their ability to kind of control the volume. Okay. Which leads to a whole host of, of, of questions that you should be raising about kind of, you know, the standards that we that we put on what's supposed to be entertaining. In terms of volume? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so this movie was so the so, I mean let's let's talk more about the movie. Sure. The movie was best received in Italy apparently when it came out, um, which is interesting in and of itself. The the frogs the whole frog thing with her character in this seems to uh, be a metaphor for fertility and sexual desire. Hmm. Yeah. That that's talked about. Uh, to some extent. Also, Nick Cave himself said about Berlin during this time, he said, in Berlin, uh, there are the most beautiful women, the best drugs, and a lot of people who give the artists the respect they deserve. Right. So it, once again, it was a hey, it was a, a nirvana. It was a paradise for creative Right, people. and they talk about these artistic communes, and we're not yes. talking about like a cult where you, everyone shaves their head and wears white robes. We're talking about um, like a building where you know different floors, different artists are living, like you know different lofts. And is that what you think of when you think of commune? You think of people who shave their heads and become Hare Krishnas? Yes. <laughs> That's not the definition of a commune. I know. <laughs> all right, go on, go on. <laughs> um, but you know, we all have our uh, you know we 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 hear what we want to hear sometimes, and again, that's like manipulation of words. You know, I I don't know who kind of put me onto that be like you know um but an artistic commune where you know all these they would flourish together they live together they it's a very family orientated kind of vibe you yes. know people would cook and everyone would have dinner together you'd play drums in one band one night you know because their other drummer was out or you'd help someone work on a movie and that's that's exactly how fm Ed- einwright ended up in this movie he lived in the same artistic com- commune that's with right them. that's right and his brother 
is in it. He plays the assistant in the video video room with William Rice. Right. And his brother went on to become a household name in a in a TV show in Germany. Okay. That became very popular. Uh, yeah. So Einheit was very much a part of all of this scene, and uh, when they when they wrote actually when they wrote uh, the script for Decoder. They rented an office behind Mayek's punk store that he had, and and which developed. was the first which was the first punk store opened up in Germany. Was it? Yes. Okay, and he, he had was it, I think from seventy nine to eighty four something like something that. like that. But yeah. he was the first one, and he would you know he brought in kind of the style of clothing, and he would bring in the records. And oh, I, I think for a while they started to I think for a while they they then would would put out their own bands there. They would they oh, would wow. put out. The, the records there I think they kind of like yeah they, so they they brought in the Ramones they brought in the you know the sex pistols they love that kind of energy um and you know sometimes people when they hear punk they think dirty and mean and that can be to an extent but punk is one of those words that I you can't define if you don't know you're never gonna get it I think Henry Rollins said that. <laughs> it's kind of like a vibe, and you know, if you if you if you know, you know. But if you don't, you know what? Well, you're doing your own thing. You're definitely thinking outside of the box, right? It's That's a very and, and usually it is gritty and 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 has an element of anger to it. Sure, because yeah. you know you're kind of you're you're in the minority. You don't have some of the resources that you know other people have to express themselves. So it's kind of like you get that. Um, that monk, that that very DIY mentality. Which sure, is, absolutely, and, absolutely. And again, this movie is a very DIY movie. It took you know years for it to come to completion, and you know that was probably just because they they probably filmed it when they could. You know, you know, Bill Rice, who is the the lead agent here, the assassin sent after FM, is actually an American um, actor. And, you know, he was born, I believe, in New York. And he was very much, you know, he's um, he was a member of the no-wave avant-garde scene in Manhattan's <laughs> East Village <laughs> wow. for a while. And wow. he was actually born in Vermont, um, passed away in 2006 uh, due to lung cancer. I, I wouldn't be surprised because of smoking. Um just my theory, but he appeared in a lot of you know very low budget Super Eight movies that would then be shown at like um, Max's Kansas City, that kind of thing. Yes, like, the, the kind of movies that you're not going to see in a multiplex. You have to go seek them out, and that's kind of what happened with Decoder. Like you know, it was popular in Italy. You know, I I can't. I there's no so information when it with, first was. You know, with him, yeah. So with with him, we've got the East Village contingent going on at that time as well. Right. So we've got you know we've got the '80s East Village New York contingent. We've got the London contingent going mm -hmm. in as well. Yep. Coming in as well. In in addition to this Berlin atmosphere that we have, and um, then Burroughs being a traveler, mm -hmm. you know, and he, um, you know, due to the the legal. Uh, due to legal reasons, was was moved around quite a bit. You know, he spent a lot of time in Mexico. Well, he, was, he was implicated. Morocco. He um, was implicated along with Kerouac um, to a death, actually, that they both were not prosecuted for. Uh, but someone did die, and um, and 
and both Kerouac and Burroughs were involved with the with the aftermath of that. Like well, if you be, if you believe the story that um, Burroughs tells, um, he was married, and he was married to a woman before coming out, um, and they would do their William Tell routine. And William Tell, of course, uh, he historically said, he, he said, later, said, but he later said, said he'd never heard of William Tell or that or that story yeah so again i don't know you know we're not dealing unfortunately with the most reliable people so i'm just going by with what the this the historical w telling of what has supposedly happened is that she you know put something on top of her head and he was supposed to shoot it off but due to the fact that he was inebriated accidentally shot her in the head and you know he had to yeah. flee the country and if you're interested in that um i can't recommend reading you know re read yourself some William S. burroughs read um, Naked Lunch, read. He wrote a book, if you're interested, about his coming out. Um, and he said that, though, you know, as much as he regretted what happened to his wife, he wouldn't have had the life and wouldn't have become a... He wouldn't have even become a writer if what happened hadn't happened. And so, for better or for worse, that's kind of where we're at. But, you know, Burroughs was always big into the punk scene, um, you know, he would later, he was in, you know, he was in his sixties and seventies when this, when he's making movies like decoder, when he's doing spoken word albums with Kurt Cobain, when he's showing up in ministry videos, for God's sakes, you know, um, so punk industrial music, that's all kind of wrapped up in here. And a lot of that, 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 um, that industrial music that, that became so popular and it came from came from these groups came from england it came from germany um they were just finding new ways to use this technology um for their own means you know not using it to manipulate people but using it to create music um some people would call it noise some people would call it music but you know it was theirs and we're watching right on screen i mean this the, the the riot scenes in this movie are amazing and they're amazing the, because it's the thing, it's a real riot the thing that confused me when watching this was that the riot scenes happened throughout the whole movie so i didn't get much of a sense of riots being uh being triggered, triggered by the, yeah by the yeah, yeah because it seems like it's always going on it's like the backdrop for well, the whole you, movie. It's interesting. Some of the riot scenes are very... Uh, and you could see... What what I love is that you can actually see that they're using so many different kinds of cameras because the the, the stock, the, which is the, the, the type of film that they're using, changes drastically, um, which means that actually what, what might appear to be a, a dip in quality is just the fact that um, we're using actual film here. And you can only clean it up to to such a degree, you know. Everything yeah. everything nowadays is processed through a computer, and it, everything's very squeaky clean and um, very tight. And like you know, it's all it's all ones and zeros, though. And 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 what we're getting here is real film, you know, and real people. And it's amazing, though. Some of the footage, you know, they're using actual riot scenes. And then there's also a very interesting use of the Zapruder film. Uh, if you watch, there's a scene with when um, all the government officials are sitting around a table. On one of the screens, you can see, you know, the Kennedys 
you know, a couple seconds before oh, right. the assassination. That's right. That's so right. So th they're choosing to use very, very um, deliberate use of of of, of scenes here. Imagery. Well, and they talk about the Kennedy assassination being the like the first um, the first use of basically trauma induced mind control <laughs> on the masses because you're seeing some an assassination in real time on television creating uh, mass trauma basically right. and you know, you know that that's kind of you know there's a lot of talk about um, you know wiretapping and surveillance and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and you know the use of technology what do we choose to use it for mm -hmm. and um, you know the Vietnam War is has been stated as being as the first war you know the first televised war mm-hmm Mm -hmm. And um, you know, going back to punk and rock music and and shocking imagery, I, I mentioned to you there's a there was a, a hit song in uh, I think it came out in 1995 1996 by the band Filter called Hey Man Nice Shot, mm -hmm. and it was often um, they you know they were often asked was that in response to Kurt Cobain who you know whether you believe the narrative or not somehow he ended up with a bullet in his head I'm not gonna go there. Um, but, you know, he's dead. Was that in reference to Kurt Cobain? It was actually in reference to a, a, a politician called Bud Dwyer who notoriously shot himself on live television during a press conference. He was being... He was... Um, uh, he, he was about to be brought up on criminal charges as far as, you know, br accepting bribes and, you know, all, all sorts of nasty financial stuff and uh instead of facing the, the you know the music when this press conference came to light um he pulled out a gun and shot himself on live television talk about trauma imagine that we're talking like in the middle of the day like two in the afternoon yeah and wasn't Gigi allen supposed to commit suicide on in front of an audience but on halloween he didn't make it no he kept telling he, he had been stating i know way too much about Gigi allen for my own good <laughs> for better or for worse uh but yeah no gg allen it w would often say he'd been saying that since like the, the the 80s that he was going to kill himself on halloween and that you would want to come to a, his show um because you know it would be the last gg allen show um which is great publicity if you don't die from an accidental heroin overdose but and then there's also been it's also kind of been attributed i guess I don't know if this is true or not. Marilyn Manson, I maybe had made a claim like that again. I don't know. Okay. It's manipulate. It, that's all manipulation of 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 the news. You know. Okay. We we take someone's words out of context. They mean something completely different. Yes. Yes. Now, incidentally, I've heard that the H and H Burger, which is the fictional fast food place, uh, is is supposed to stand for heroin, which lends itself to the addictive nature of fast fast food right yeah uh, yeah so there's that going on as well sure and there's also the very uh, we should mention this about h burger we get a a look because our one of our uh one of the characters it gets a job there and we get to see they are trained as if they're in the military yeah, like they're a, doing like boot camp push-ups yeah they're, they're <laughs> like their their manager is acting like a drill sergeant like yeah. he's saying like it's pretty comedic it, it, it's very funny <laughs> that's another thing about this this movie um some of the humor doesn't land as well just because it's it's in german i also found that with alphaville 
that there was a there was a phrase and I wish I had written it down. There's a phrase that they were commonly using and I could tell that it was a punchline, but because it was in French, I was, you know, in my mind's reading subtitles and processing the French and my my 9 years of French, I wish I had sharpened up on it. I wasn't able to kind of get some of the humor that's there, but that just means that I it bears a repeat viewing and and something like Decoder I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie because there's something about it. It's very, I mean, it's very hypnotic. Yeah. The, the imagery actually, is extremely hypnotic. And while we're talking about that, we should talk about the dream machine. Yes. Which is featured in, uh, in Decoder. And it's, and it's used uh, to basically de-scramble the messages that you that have been subliminally put into your mind right and there is it, it does exist and there was resistance from the government to uh to ban its um its its manufacturing right uh, to so, the pack to the fact that you had to build your own and people, right. they would kind of they would kind of give you a kit they would tell you like where you could acquire the parts to make it right. like you would have to seek people out Right. Now, this is very interesting. We're getting towards the climax of the movie, and instead of a physical altercation between our our protagonist, MC, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, FM, and the assassin played by William Rice, uh, he uses... He uses Percussion. the no he uses noises. Yeah, he starts banging drumsticks. Right. He starts using his own individual talent as a percussionist to to, to combat, you know And it works. It like does. the assassin William Rice is is pained by this very, very much so. Yes, and we're about to see that actually um that the whole surveillance thing goes even higher than uh poor William Rice because he's gonna end up being the one assassinated. That's right, he is. And in an alternate ending, I think he might be alive because in the alternate ending, ending um, FM is murdered, but he doesn't know who his murderer is. Ooh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if they ever filmed that or if it was just scripted and not filmed. But yes, in here we do see the assassin, William Rice, uh, about to be killed himself. Right, he's... Um, but it's just so interesting... And all of it is being watched on video by... Uh, FM's brother, basically. Right. Well, uh, brother. brother in real life, in not real life. yeah, not not, not, not in, the in the sense of the movie. Um, and I believe that he doesn't even have a name. Like he's just like eighty six, I believe they're calling him. Like oh, he wow. he's he he's doesn't even a have a name. He's got a, a That's like number. That's an alpha bill. Right, That's they've all got they've got the um, Alphaville has I think a number. They got a serial number on right. the back of their necks. Right, and That's right. I knew a I knew a kid in high school who got like a, like a barcode put on the back of his neck as a tattoo. Yeah. I've seen that before. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's all very interesting. Where where and when. Just when you think that you're the higher up, like you think you're the agent of the government, there's always that one level above you because he's not able to complete the plan. He's supposed to take out um, FM, and he's not able to, and so therefore he's got to go. That's right. He's not able to complete right. the mission, so somebody else, you know That's what? Right. You can't do it? That's right. There's always that one level right above. You might yep. think you're at the tippy top. You're not. Yep, yep. And they can send in the big guns, like, uh, what's that uh, in Point of No Return, the Harvey Keitel character? What was he called? The Cleaner. The Cleaner. Yes. So they can send in these completely ruthless, sociopathic uh, individuals to come in and just do you out or do right. you in or whatever. And I, if you want to read, take you out. If you want to read something interesting about sociopaths, there's a great book called The Sociopath Next Door, 
And, you know, when people think sociopath, um, I think they think of, 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 of extremes. Um, but a sociopath basically doesn't have, um, has no emotional connection to, to people. Yeah. And therefore, they're very high rising government officials because they don't they don't care who they step on to get to rise to power. And very high level. And they'll follow orders. Right. To, you know, like they'll it, follow or they'll follow orders until they're the ones giving the orders. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's it. It's almost like uh, gangster number one. Right, which we watched recently. The right, the, yeah, that the, the rise to the, the yeah, following orders, following orders until you're in the top, you work your way up to the top notch. Yep. Okay, so let's see. What? So where are we in the movie right now? Like we're at the end. We He's are just at the end. The assassin has died, and I'm Hyde and Chris, Christian uh, have embraced each other. Um, yes, their relationship was always kind of. Um, iffy yeah he wasn't you, that into him and he would come over he seemed once kind in a while. of yeah he seemed kind of disinterested and i think that there was kind of like this, this kind of helps them break through their own personal barriers with each other right so it's you, you got a love story here and it, it uh, it's funny because they chose like one of the cover art a lot of the cover art features the frogs which is great because frogs are cute but the other popular cover art is um this picture of Bill Rice lying on the ground with blood coming out of his mouth, which kind of is a misleading. It's a misleading cover because it's not that kind of movie. If you're thinking you're going to get like a slasher or something or a like heist that. movie, because if you read like information is the bank and we have to hit the <laughs> bank, it's not a heist, movie. but it's, it's, <laughs> but that's why it's perfect as a cult movie because there are like, I'm looking. If you look at the genre tags on IMDb, which you probably shouldn't, because they're just funny. It's um, it's it's tagged with horror, mystery, and sci-fi. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm not sure what the mystery is. What was the mystery? Well, the discovering who's in charge of everything, like the major corporate uh, entity in charge of H. Burger and the surveillance. But we don't know. We we're don't not, know. We're so, left I mean, not so, knowing. Yeah, so, I mean, it's still a mystery. <laughs> I cannot, you know what? Yeah, I cannot solve a mystery. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I, I, w I would scrap horror, and that's the first tag here. It's not a horror movie. It's not. At all. The, I mean, it's I, not even really a sci-fi movie. It kind I of think is. So. I but think I mean, it's the more... fact that it's all, you can do it. I think it's a very you know? cyberpunk, because this cyberpunk, is... Cyberpunk, that yeah. should be a genre. Yeah. It's, it's, it's we're living, I mean, this is obviously a different, this is a dystopian future where everything is controlled by the government up to the music that we listen to in a restaurant. But it's, but it's main message is like the future is now, you right. know, and it is even back then. And it definitely is now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it is. It's so it's, it, it's fluid. It, it's very relevant. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say that, but it is, but it's fluid. No, it's more, it's, it's, a truly prolific movie. It is. It really more than you think. I mean, people, you can watch this on one level and be entertained, but if you want to scratch beneath the surface, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and the layers are unbelievable. Just within the context of Berlin itself, which was a host to a huge creative movement back before the Nazis, the Nazis actually took it out. The whole Weimar culture uh, and the Bauhaus school 
of uh, creativity, which influenced not only music and theater and arts and film, uh, but also architecture, a lot of that as well. I mean, so the this will never go away in Berlin. I don't think they'll ever be able to really erase that energy that goes on there. No. Yeah. As much, and, and that kind of goes to the fruit. I think it's fruitless, this whole uh, censoring oh, it's and, and taking out... Making making word like canceling words and saying no, or saying that only certain people can use one word like it's you, ridiculous. Talk about trapping your mind. Seriously, it's like you're getting cornered by all of this. You know, it's like you can't. There's no way out. No, there really isn't. No, I and, think that's the that's by design. I really do think. so. Oh yeah, no, yeah. it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, I I actually think I could see why horror came up though. Because if you think about think about how horrific discovering something like this would be to yeah. you psychologically. Sure. But if you're thinking, if you're looking for a guy in a mask and a butcher knife, you know, look elsewhere. Yeah. You're not going to get into coder. No. Um, what you're gonna get is, an, like I said, endless rabbit holes to go. I like. I I think that. Um, and just all the spinoffs. All the spin-offs musically, all the cine- spin-offs cinematically, all the spin-offs with all of the individuals that were involved. They right. all did all the stuff on their own as well. And with other people, collaborating with other people. It just goes on and on and on. The 80s was rife with this. Even in the East Village, um, that's pretty much what the AIDS epidemic did was wipe out a lot of the creativity in the East Village in uh, the 1980s. I moved there in the early 90s and I caught the tail end of that. I was in Berlin in the early 90s as well, caught the ta- or late 80s, caught the tail end of that as well. So the energy was still there. I, and there was still a lot of overflow with that. I remember in Berlin, like a, I think I've mentioned this to you, uh, bars that would be underneath abandoned buildings, sure. bombed out buildings. Yeah. You know, and that you would go into and there would be th- culture thriving thriving underneath there but i think the on on the plus Literally side underground yeah yeah go ahead but on the on the plus side well that is the plus side well i'm just saying the, the on but on the plus side as far as artistic individuals go you know you come from a theater background of a musical background i come from um a writing and musical background yeah which is why we we've become f- such good friends over the course of a couple of years. Yeah. And which is why like the friends that I still talk to today are ones that I've I've worked with on a creative level. See, there's so much to that. There's so much to and that. And that's so important mm-hmm. because us creative types, we we stick together. Yeah. And you see it like you said with this, you know, um on the off chance they wa- they were influenced by William S. Burroughs. He agreed to, you know, he said, you know, I'll do your movie, but you got to come to me. And they still maintain that relationship together. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. even cross-generational. Like I said, Burroughs was in his 60s and 70s. And the guy's doing heroin with Al Jurgensen from Ministry in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that's a good way to connect with people is not heroin. I mean, I think about the the happiest times in my life and it's always been when I've been part of a collective group of creative individuals exactly very much when you're work, when you're working on a theater production uh, or right. when I we used to play in bands like those right. were the greatest I couldn't wait to get out of school you know to play my shitty original songs with a couple friends in a garage but that's right. but that's that's kind of that's the joy life. 
Look, I mean, that's it, the joy of a creative individual. It is. And, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, and I feel the same way. Like, I, I miss, yeah, I miss all of that very much. Um, I, I want to get back to I've been trying to get back into it. It's yeah. tough, but you, you kind of find... Those, it you, takes a while. It takes a while, but the, you find those people, mm-hmm. and you stay connected with those people. Yes, you do. And you cut out those people like you cut out the words in Alphaville. The words, <laughs> the words that you don't want to use, you cut out with the individuals. It would be so much better if we were able to cut out um, toxic people. I mean, to a certain extent, we can. We can try to avoid them. But take out the toxic people. Don't take out the words. The words aren't the problem. It's the people using them. <laughs> All right. I think we're done. I don't think I could top that. That was kind of yeah, profound. Yeah, yeah, Um, Thank you so much, everyone. Um, this, is, this, was a, this was a long time coming, but we really wanted to do our homework on this. We could have probably talked for... For an, maybe at some point this would be an interesting movie to revisit at, at some point after we we kind of dig a little bit deeper. Uh, I definitely want to check out this this Burroughs documentary, but there's only so much um, time. You know, I don't want to delay episodes too much, but lots of good stuff coming up on the Cult Film Companion, Twin Peaks talk. We're still in episode. We're still in season one. We're we're getting to the end of season one, which means Andrew, I had to tackle Twin Peaks season two. And I'm not really looking forward to the latter half of season two, I'll tell you that. Yeah. But good stuff coming up on the Cold Film Companion. We're going to be doing um, a musical May because we were going to do musical March, but I've already got a bank of good episodes coming, and we're going to be tackling, uh, me and Andrew are tackling Myra Breckenridge next, which is a first-time watch for me, which because, is unusual. Yeah, right, that you have never seen it. This And this is on the heels of uh, Raquel Welsh's passing so yes, I had RIP. to. I was like, let's let's do Myra Breckenridge. Right. Let's let's get that in. And um, we got um, we got some Ken Russell coming up. Uh, yep. Probably actually lots of Ken Russell coming. Yeah, he is my favorite. <laughs> he he is, really is. He's but, Andrew's favorite, and he's 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 rapidly becoming one of my favorites. <laughs> he's just um, so nuts. <laughs> so um, we've got Cronenberg uh, stuff coming up. I got Zero Effect. We got great guests, um, but. We do it all for if you're still listening to us after an hour and a half talking about decoder. Um, thank you so much. We we love the feedback and I, I I really I say this with some certain certain episodes, but I um I, I think I mean it the most with this episode is that I really wanna hear from people that either you know, discover this movie because of us. Um Tell me what you think about this one because I'm really curious, mm-hmm. and there's there's no excuse to be. Do it right now. Um, <laughs> search for Decoder. It's uh, 1984. Don't let um, don't let the German put you off because it's a beautiful looking movie. The cinematography is amazing, and uh, the music is amazing. Yep, you can listen to the soundtrack on YouTube. And where can you watch Decoder again? Tubi. On Tubi. T-U-B-I. Okay. Uh, and like I said, um, thank you so much, Andrew. Always a pleasure having you in the studio with yeah. me. Looking forward to it. Uh, another another year of the Cult Film Companion. Um, that's it. That's it. Yeah. How do you say goodbye in German? Uh, 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 adieu? Yeah, I think it's adieu. Adieu. Sure. We'll go with that. Okay. (laughs) Let me 